the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Kate Star News, and this week I'm joined by only one of my co-hosts and two surprise guests. Hi, I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. Uh, we have two guests on our episode this week, two female guests, because it's uh, something that's in line with our theme for this week. So, Anya, why don't int- you introduce your guests first? Yes, yeah, so my guest is my college best friend. This is... Introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dana Bramble. I'm the showrunner's assistant on Charmed on the CW. We have the inside scoop, guys. No details will be leaked. Um, And my guest this week is my college best friend, Rebecca Fuger. Please introduce yourself. Of course. Hi, Rebecca Fuger. I am a designer, graphic designer, that is, in New York. All right. So uh, we've noticed a a fun trend in uh, pop culture this year is that um, there are a lot of witches in the media these days. Not in like the real media, but in um, entertainment. Unfortunately, not in the real media as much. I mean, there were those witches who like cursed Brett Kavanaugh. (laughs) Yeah. And there were some, I think it was more last year, but they cursed Donald Trump too. Yeah, so. too bad it didn't really work. But the you witches... Keep trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll keep trying. The witches on the TV and movie screen are quite powerful, though. And I'm talking about the unholy trinity of Suspiria, um, Charmed, and Sub- The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, those last two are TV series, uh, one of which is a reboot of a beloved 90s uh, series, Charmed, and the other of which is... is also a somewhat... It's a somewhat a reboot. semi-reboot. Yeah, it's a more of a, an adaptation of the sort of horror-themed comic Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And again, the, the movie also, as well is a remake as, um, by Luca Guadagnino uh-huh. of the Daria Argento 1970s horror flick and um these have a, a you know one big thing thing in common they're all about witches but they also have cast a real interesting sort of um mirror to what is going on with like feminism and female empowerment in 2018 so we're going to dive into what that new resurgence of witches means uh for you know media and women today and also what part they've played in pop culture and in history uh for the past you know Ever. Forever and <laughs> ever. Yes. Um, HT, where do you want to start? Um, well, well, actually, let's talk about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina because it's been, we've been binging it this weekend, and I know you're a big fan, Anya. I think you watched I it twice. Am. Is that or you watched it once? I'm, I've only watched it once. Yeah, but um, it's been high, heavy on our minds right now, and we are huge fans of it. So I want to talk about, uh, yeah, what Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, um, what it kind of does to update the witch for the modern era and also like what it's um it's new tone and kind of you know satanic uh themes mean for today (laughs) yes yes no it's so great um i just want to talk about our lord and savior zelda spellman yes zelda played by miranda otto to me i love her like i think i think the reason i love her is because um the thing I really love about the show is its exploration of like faith and belief Mm. in terms of being a witch. Um, And it really comes down to like Zelda's future arc for me. And that the idea of like having faith in something and having that like contradict like your conscience, because Zelda is so clearly dedicated to the church of night and Satan and by extension Faustus. But you can see through her love for Sabrina and that decision she makes at the very end of season one, with Faustus, mm-hmm. um, that there are some things that go against the Church of Night, that, like, she just believes in herself. And so this idea of power and faith and magic, um, I just really love that in this show. And it really all comes down to, like, Zelda's character for me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I, I love Zelda, and it's all the characters in this show are so great and complex and are even not... Even Harvey any... Kinkle. I will yeah, even I Harvey. We're not talking about how we love Harvey. He's so pure. Uh, he's such he's a sweet so boy. <laughs> love him. He just I wants have, the best for Sabrina. I have a crush on his brother, though, Tommy. Have you guys finished the series? No. no so I don't... I'm only at episode, like, yeah. We've just finished episode three, I think. Yes. So... Okay. Right now, he does seem like just a very sweet big brother who just wants to make sure Harvey doesn't go into the mines. No, Tommy, yeah, Tommy's precious. So, 
that doesn't change. So okay, good. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I was scared for. I mean, things happen, but like, of course, yeah. But it yeah. still remains good. Yeah, this will remain a spoiler-free discussion of Sabrina yeah. because we have not yeah. finished it yet. But yeah, yeah. So it was interesting. Um, you bringing up uh, Zelda and everything. Um, yeah, just like that idea that you know you see that in real life where you know your you know love for a person and like your own personal feelings can often trump even like the most deeply held beliefs. Um, and that's cool that that is uh, something to look forward to. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it it gets better with Zelda. And like, there's an uh, you might not have seen the episode yet. It's coming up, but like in one episode, Prudence and Sabrina have a conversation mm. about faith, and Prudence kind of questions Sabrina of like, why is your faith to like the mortal world more important than like my faith to my religion? Oh. Like, why does that? Like, why does that trump mine? And it's it's really interesting because of the way it does you know affect how they use magic and how they use their own powers. Um, you know, cause I think the thing about like Suspiria and charmed is that they're not super religious based. Whereas like Sabrina very much is, mm-hmm. which is something interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting relationship that uh, Sabrina has with faith because the, um, the sort of like relationship that witches have always had with, religion and faith is has been always mired with conflict like they have always been antithetical whereas sabrina kind of flips that on its head and makes it about a faith to you know the dark lord and everything but it also can act as a um a stand-in for like larger discussions about faith as well yeah and so like sabrina very much you know i watched the first season and it very much felt like holding up a mirror to like the catholic church and other organized religion and just kind of how that can have an effect on society and how you know, like, one's personal faith might be true, um, but when you create an entity like the Church of Night or the Catholic Church, there can become corruption and power and greed and ambition, and, like, that can have negative effects on society, even if a person's individual faith is not inherently, like, bad. So do you think it's actually a fun a coincidence, then, that all of the higher-ups in the Church of Night are men? No, I don't think it's a coincidence. I purpose, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's totally a reason that like Faustus, um, played by the lovely Richard Coyle, who is so great, um, in his role, is yeah, is men and like the fact that you know, well, and you know that also the commentary on the fact that like witches are women, and in history it's like men afraid of women with power, mm-hmm. and so I think you know. Sabrina's very much like setting up a conflict mm. between like the men who lead the Church of Night and the witches who are gonna start to get fed up with how they're running things. It often happens. Yeah, I was gonna actually go off of that a little bit. Um, as someone who did grow up Catholic um, and you know went through all the sacraments and everything, um, I kind of felt similarly to Sabrina, where you know that kind of conflict, especially when you're so young. You know, you make your confirmation when you're 13. And you don't know yourself and you have no idea like who you are and what you're going to turn out to be. So you, I felt like, you know, at the time I was almost kind of going through the motions because I didn't really like either understand what I was doing and, you know, it didn't feel genuine. And so I feel like showing that kind of dilemma on screen too, especially, you know, from a young perspective, um, I would have really liked to have seen that when I was um, young and 13 and kind of just see that conflict um, because I think it would actually help a lot of um you know, adolescents as they're sort of trying to make that big decision and transition and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even beyond like the deeper themes of the show, I just love its camp. Oh my God. Like, yes, the campy and fun. Zelda's cigarette holder. The best. All of of their vamping, like everyone's just vamping so hard. Miss (laughs) Wardwell. Miss Wardwell's everything. Oh my God. And it's like, I think we were talking to one of our friends and they were saying how they didn't think the show leaned into the camp enough. Oh. I and, like, so. I disagree completely. Like, one of the reasons I love Sabrina is that throughout the whole season, like, it is committed to that, like, camp aesthetic and that, like... Oh, they're all Hail in. Satan! <laughs> like, I'm like, this show is ridiculous. And, like, I love it. And, like, I've only watched a very little bit of Riverdale, but I already feel like Sabrina understands its, like, aesthetic more than Riverdale does. 
Yeah, Riverdale kind of just throws everything. It's kind of a, a kitchen sink sort of deal with Riverdale, whereas R- Sabrina has more of a coherent through line. Yeah, I would for my limited. I've watched every episode of Riverdale, but um, Ooh, um, great bravo to you. <laughs> she loves it. Well, I was gonna say, I feel like Sabrina pretty much knew what it was from the start, and um, you know, of course, I haven't seen the whole series, but I'm pretty confident that it maintains its, you know, through line and campiness all the way through. It and, does. Yeah. Um, and Riverdale, you know, some days are better than others. <laughs> and that camp really reminds me too of um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And there's no, I don't think it's a coincidence either that this series, uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, has a lot of parallels to um, my one of my favorite uh, '90s. Uh, genre female-led shows of all time Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah Uh, not only in like it's sort of blonde strong female lead but also in a lot of the stock characters we've seen like Prudence Mm -hmm. I think is a very much um the kind of the modern Cordelia and a lot of things that they deal with and a lot of like the monsters and sort of conflicts that they run into are very like Buffy-esque or Principal Hawthorne very much a Principal Snyder yeah he's very Snyder and um I like that I like that even though Sabrina can actually get quite gratuitous and more violent than you anticipate you, know, you expect for a series like uh, that's basically mm-hmm. catered towards teens i feel like it could be this this generation's like new buffy in a way and like teach yeah. uh, teach young girls who are watching it how to uh interrogate um the you know society and like their the pressures of their own lives and how to like grow up as a, a strong woman or i hate you know i hate saying strong woman but like a, as a yeah. strong woman empowered, in this world empowered women. women in this world yes even though i do think that sabrina um stumbles a little bit when it tries to lean a little too heavily into like those social issues because it's like you know yes. it's trying to it's like doing a little checklisting a little oh, sometimes yeah. but like with her is. friends and everything yeah it's even like it's oh, very nice it's nice but like oh they have the trans girl and then they have like the black girl who's also like really outspoken i wanted to see the daughters of the black panthers club oh that would be great yeah i mean like but they're they're such good characters yeah, that they i are don't great mind characters. yeah so i really feel like that it 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 feels like um an an heir or a successor to mm-hmm. buffy in that sense um which is actually a great transition to one of the other shows that we want to talk about in um this this episode uh charmed which is also an update of a beloved 90s show girl power 90s show um dana i want to ask you about charmed and as a person who works on this series uh what um what is like the sort of like the mission statement for this series bringing it back into this new era uh after you know the original charmed kind of had like this rah rah go go girl feminism to it that was a little bit surface um like, what do does this new uh, Charmed reboot want to bring to the table? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's funny, like, in talking about uh, Sabrina maybe trying to hit on social issues, but, like, maybe missing the mark or, mm-hmm. or having it feel shoehorned because it's, like, so much of Charmed and what the the mission statement of my EPs and the, the women creators of the show was to explore what being a witch is like in 2018. Um, initially, um, so I know Sabrina and Riverdale kind of have this out of time feeling or Mm. like Sabrina Mm -hmm. specifically has a very like 1950s, 60s aesthetic, even though it's modern day. Um, the original incarnation of the Charmed reboot was uh, supposed to be a prequel, um, to the original series set in the seventies. Oh, yeah, that was the initial concept. And then after the 2016 election, um, it was kind of like, okay, well, it's more important to have this set now in the context of, like, what's going on today and what being a powerful woman means in 2018. And especially uh, for our show specifically, there are three women of color um, as the leads, one of whom is queer. So it's, you know, what is being a witch mean in 2018 when you're also someone whose identity is being threatened by this new administration and like mm-hmm. you're constantly not only are you a woman you're one of color again one of them is queer and it's you're constantly under this barrage of maybe losing your rights you know people constantly you know the hate crimes are on the rise that sort of thing um and so the pilot of charmed um focused very it focuses very heavily on the me too movement um in that, I hope everyone has watched the pilot. I won't give major spoilers, but um, the show now takes place in a college town rather than in San Francisco, like the original. 
Um, and one of the professors in the university has been accused of sexual harassment. Mm. Um, and after a trial, he was reinstated. And so uh, one of the main charmed ones, Mel Vera, um, is kind of staging a protest and is super angry that he's been reinstated um, because her mom was the one who kind of helped the women speak out against him in the first place. Um, and now kind of three women come came forward and said he was a sexual harasser and he gets to have his job back. Um, so yeah, it <laughs> focuses very heavily on me too. And um, we're trying to sprinkle in those, the issues of the day without being too like preachy or like shoehorning things in to where they feel uncomfortable or like the audience will still want to watch and recognize like, Hey, they're talking about this thing that's happening now. Um, and also tying it into magic and demons and yeah. all of that fun stuff. I feel like one of the biggest differences between, like, Charmed and Sabrina is that, like, Sabrina very much feels like its own world. Mm-hmm. So, like, its commentary on feminism is, a they try to be, like, a bit more, like, nuanced and, like, into, like, just the storyline. They're not commenting on, The current you know, day course. issues, yeah. Like, they, they are, but not directly like Charmed is. Like, Charmed mm-hmm. is, like you know, calling out the Me Too movement, like, mm-hmm. specifically. And, so like... It's a little more oblique on uh, Sabrina. Yeah, yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. since Sabrina is, like, very much, like, it's focused entirely on, like, the Church of Night and, like, Sabrina trying to figure out, like, the moral world versus the Church of Night world and that. And, like, Charmed is, like, very much about these three women who have magic and integrating it into their everyday lives. Like, on Charmed, the, the two worlds blend immediately. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Sabrina, there very much is that binary, like intentionally so. They're supposed to be the conflict, like you were talking about, Rebecca. Um, And on Charmed, it's like they're still going to school and, you know, like how do they lead their lives as Charmed ones while also still like living their regular lives. And it's like they do have both. It's not like they don't have to choose the way Sabrina does. Right. And so how do you balance that? Yeah. And it's um, they're white later in the first episode literally says to them like being a witch is a pro-choice endeavor like Mm -hmm. you can decide if you want to take on the responsibilities of being a witch um or not so it's like they do they do have to choose but not in the same like heavy heavy way that sabrina does because they're not giving up their lives to be witches they're just integrating yeah. well for their, them being witches is not like satan exactly yeah. right. there there not about no satan. sort of like satanic <laughs> belief system um in in charms um so it's and it the show really explores them growing as women as young women because we've um aged them down since the original mm-hmm. so the youngest sister is 18 she's a freshman in college um, the middle sister is 25. She's a grad student. And then the oldest sister is 28. She's, uh, has her PhD and is doing like a, like a fellowship. Um, so it's really them growing into who they are as young women, as well as growing into themselves as witches, which is yeah. nice. A nice blend. Have you guys watched Charmed much at all yet? I actually Not haven't much, watched the reboot. Yeah, but... I used to watch the original a lot, and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. For It's like, it's cheesiness. And again, camp, which we could ha- have a whole other discussion about how camp is associated with, like, the female genre and how a lot of people, a lot of male critics especially, use camp as a criticism for being, like, overtly female. But that's another discussion for another that's time. That's a whole other podcast. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, no, Charmed is really great. Um, I love it. I would highly recommend it. Mm. Oh, yeah, um, the... The explanation was definitely enough to get me really excited. Yeah. I want to She's not biased or anything. (laughs) (laughs) So would you guys say that um, Sabrina is like more of an allegorical show, whereas Charmed, this reboot, is kind of like a superhero show? And what that means to have witches as like the new superhero in a way, which is kind of like an interesting reversal of how we've, how history has has, uh, treated witches for their, their entirety of like the their history yeah (laughs) i like that because like i mean so far in charmed i haven't seen much like and i'm sure they might touch on it but like persecution of witches Mm -hmm. like that's very much a huge thing in sabrina Mm. is like talking about like the historical persecution of witches and like charmed hasn't really touched on that yet and it's very much like their um white lighter harry greenwood who is my fave i'm like in love with him (laughs) I'm a little upset. I'm a little upset. I would die for Harry Greenwood. Is he an old wizen guy who's like tiny bit snarky? Um, he's not old. 
Um, he's played by Rupert Evans, who was the white guy in Hellboy. Oh, oh. In GDTs. Yeah. But, like, I know, you say that because, like, in Hellboy, he's, like, oh, like, the token white guy, like, whatever. Like, you don't like him. But in Charmed, he's so great, and he's, like, their mentor, and he wears, like, three-piece suits, and he's, okay. like, like British. And yeah, he's, he's, like, the Giles. He's very much he's Giles. Very much like he Giles. is the Giles. Okay, like, I understand now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I already, say no more. <laughs> from yeah. the 50s, like, it's very, yeah. Yeah, and I already shipped him with someone, one of the elders. Her name is Charity, and she's a babe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I love him. But anyway, what I was saying is that, like, it's very much, like, about, like, uplifting these three sisters as the Charmed Ones. Like, it's you know, it hasn't really touched on, like, you know, people's feelings towards witches or, like, if, if there are people in the world who want to, like, hunt down witches or, like, extinguish witches as there is in, like, Sabrina Safar or in shows like American Horror Story where they do touch on, like, things like the Salem Witch Trials and whatnot. And, like, in Charmed, like, you know, it's very much, like, you women, like, you guys are the ones who have the power and you can change the world and save the world and it's... You know, it's very much about, like, uplifting them mm. in their powers and not trying to, like, other them or, you know, say, like, women in power are bad, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. I would say in that way it is similar to a superhero show in that, like, especially in its first season, like, they have to grow into their powers, right? Like, they have to realize, like, their own limits of how, how far they can go or and, like, work up to casting bigger spells or, like, understand like how the power of three works and mm. when they need to utilize that and like how their emotions affect their, their powers um, and their sisterly bond affects their powers. And, and we kind of do um, a, you know, a quote demon of the week kind of, a kind of plot occasionally, like how, you know, flash or arrow or it will do like a, like a villain of the week, a monster mm. of the week, Supergirl, yeah. you know, that. Um I, the other thing I've been noticing, uh, the big difference between Charmed and Sabrina is that on Charmed, um, everything is a matriarchy. Um, the magic is genetically matrilineal. Um, all of the ruling bodies, like all of the elders are women. Um, and in this case, they have a male white lighter, but he is employed by and was given his kind of second chance at life through the the elders. So through mm-hmm. these women who chose him. Um, and he kind of works for them and works for the charmed ones in that he, you know, is helping them navigate. Um, but at the end of the day, like, he is literally at their beck and call. Like, they call for him and he shows up. And um, he is a pure baby and we will take no bad words against Harry Greenwood. <laughs> the best. And also specifically, um, the mother on Charmed is uh, Latina and the two sisters who are... Um, her well they're all her daughters but the two who've grown up together have her last name Mm -hmm. um so we're really leaning into the fact that like she wanted a a matriarchy and that the girls will now pass her last name down rather than their father's yeah and it's like interesting because like like, yeah and because like in sabrina it's her father who was like the warlock yeah Mm -hmm. and like her mother who was the mortal and like you said like the church of knives like led by men so like you know, I think they're both trying to be feminist shows, but, like, where Sabrina is, like, setting up um, a conflict between the men and the women, and, like, how the men control them, Charmed, you know, from its inception, is, like, the women are the ones who have always had this power, mm-hmm. and the ones who, like, pass down this power, and I think also, like, language is really interesting in Charmed, because um, in one of the episodes, they do a spell in Spanish, Oh. Whereas a lot of spells are like done like in like Latin, Latin. or something, mm-hmm. yeah. But like you know, they're acknowledging the fact that these women, you know, were Latina and like their culture and like where they come yeah. from. And, like, I was gonna ask if they kind of explore that in the sort of I, you know, do not pretend to be an expert about it at all, but like kind of the Latin, you know, version of witchcraft and everything. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think they do have Latin, yeah, like, for you know, sure. but like they explore the fact that like, you know, they they do have a culture behind them, like right. even outside. of and like right yeah. and different types of magic exist mm-hmm. like right it's like the different cultures like, yeah right so the spell they do um in that episode is like santeria based Ooh. um there's also going to be an exploration of like haitian and yoruba magic Ooh, coming so, cool. so yeah trying to touch on just different magical traditions instead of just this kind of like you know with the general kind of yeah exactly yeah um and, and a lot of that is like 
the actors too were using a lot of their backgrounds to help influence you know where their characters go and the types of magic we explore with their characters so that's been really fun yeah. uh, to work with it reminds me of like because like yeah sabrina is very like eurocentric in that way where it's like something like a horror story coven you know also explored like voodoo witchcraft and mm-hmm. you know witches of color and like how they're you know, the fact that they are women of color and, like, how that puts them at odds with, like, white witches. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, and, you know, I think it's easy to, like, throughout history and media to, like, other women of color who are witches and, like, be like, oh, they just do, like, voodoo and, like, they just do this and, like, you know, and I liked that in American Horror Story you had, like, Queenie mm-hmm. who was, like, part of the main kind of coven And you saw, like, her conflict between being in, like, a coven of a group of, like, all white women versus, like, joining up with, like, Angela Bassett's, like, coven, who was, like, all, like, black witches and everything. And it's, like, you know, how you have those kind of identities and you have to grapple with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I like that Charmed is, like, touching on the fact that, like, being a witch is not your only identity. Like, you have other aspects of you that come into play and how you balance all of those. And I think the idea that all forms of magic are valid because like what American Horror Story kind of does when with the white versus black witchcraft and witches specifically is it kind of um, others the voodoo witches or makes it feel like their magic is not as powerful Mm -hmm. as the the Salem, the quote Salem witches or the white witches magic. But the interesting thing Um, about like historically sorry to interject but historically Salem the first uh, woman to be accused of was a a black yeah she was a black woman exactly yeah and then throughout history I feel like we sort of erased that and like sort of whitewashed that like I think most people wouldn't know that the first woman accused in Salem was a woman of color Mm -hmm. like they would just assume they were all white and that like it was just like down south you know women of color did voodoo and stuff and they definitely like separate the two yeah and so I think you know we've also just since that time we've kind of put that binary there mm-hmm. yeah as and, like historians and as storytellers and in american horror they even make the point that like the white witches the, their magic was stolen from oh, tituba and like, from this like this other culture and it's not necessarily theirs like they basically appropriated it or reappropriated it for their purposes mm-hmm. which i think is really um yeah, an, an interesting point to make. It reminds me, this is a weird comparison, but it reminds me of, like, in Bring It On. <laughs> the, best, the best movie the about cultural appropriation, though. Honestly, yes, like, truly. it's like, oh, we're stealing their stuff because it's better and appropriating it for our purposes. And it's, yeah, and I think on Charmed, we're, we're kind of doing, like, all magic is valid. Like, there are all types of magic that are just as important. Uh, to their cultures and history. I do think it's interesting that there is, like, an extra layer of othering when it comes to magic from, like, POC cultures. Like, voodoo, for example, or even... um, It's presented as much more, like, in pop culture, like, scary, quote-unquote, or, like, you know, like, much more deeply threatening and, Mm -hmm. yeah, othering. Yeah, because there's, like, there's still, like, a layer of glamour around witches, like, Western witches, because they were martyred, essentially. Oh, yeah. Well, I was even going to say, um, even with the Crucible and, you know, how the Salem Witch Trial started, of course, yeah, the first person to be accused as a woman of color. And I always kind of interpreted it as them being kind of afraid since she was also a slave that, you know, she was using yeah. kind of her power and her culture to, you know, you know, this is me just really interpreting um, outwardly, but, you know, like um, really trying to stay close to her culture, you know, in a land that she was really not part of and didn't, you know, was you know she was all alone basically and then then basically being like you can't do that you know Mm -hmm. and really having it spin out of control to such an extent and i feel like the story would not have happened if you know she hadn't been there and if she if or she had been a white woman for instance yeah and like for example the zombie genre as well is rooted in um fears of this sort of like african uh like tribal magic i don't know the word for it and I don't want to like say it wrongly but like that's definitely something that uh has been rooted in kind of like the the base fears of like what of the people who are minorities in general not just women um who have a potential for some to reach for some sort of power yeah um I completely agree and like that's why I like just like which media like media that have witches in general is because it is such like a ripe storytelling for like women Mm -hmm. and like what it means to have power um and how that kind of 
transpires in society. Um, and that's one of the things I really love about Suspiria. Woo! Nice, nice transition. segue. Yeah. yeah. Um, is like, for me, the reason that when I saw Suspiria, I did not know what to think. I saw it with Dana and literally like it ended and she was like, I love this film. It's amazing. Oh my God. And I was like, I could not talk. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I walked out being like, what I actually saw with HT and, I, the first thing I said as the credits rolled and the lights came on, I was like, I feel different. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. I did. I did feel different. But then the more I thought about it, the more I loved it. Oh, yeah, And what I, yeah, what I love about it is that, like, it has this full range of, like, complex women and what happens when they gain power and, like, the fact that, like, women, you know, because... Again, that stereotype of, like, women is, like, nurturing and motherly and, like, that's just what women are in society. But, Mm -hmm. like, this shows you that, like, women can gain power and they can also be dangerous with it and they can be cruel and they can use it to hurt people. Just like a man Um, might. Exactly. Um, And that's one of the things I loved about Suspiria is that it did show that, like, power itself can you know, corrupt and anyone. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. There's like an interesting sort of like central conflict between all three um, titles that we're talking about in that with Sabrina, it's women versus men with charmed. It's women versus society. And now in with Suspiria, it's kind of women versus versus women. Yeah. Yeah. Women versus women in a way. And definitely I think it has to do with um, actually, this is something that I I talked about with um, my, with my friend, Mike, also a friend of the pod and how this is kind of a, uh, in, in a way, one of the many readings of this of Suspiria can be that it's about you know first wave versus second wave feminism and how you know there's two different generations of women in power here, each of them vying for a different type of way in which they can exist and be empowered in society. One of which the older generation is all about um, misandry and killing everyone and then taking all that power for themselves. Whereas the younger generation led by Dakota Johnson's Susie is sort of more benevolent in a way and trying to be, take back this sort of all, uh, all encompassing kind of like, yeah, just like, I don't want to say nurturing, but like in a way that's more just like, equal I guess you would say giving giving yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's one of the things I love about like the ending scene we won't give too many like explicit spoilers but like in the ending scene Susie once you like once her role is revealed more fully at the end like she both shows cruelty and mercy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like in the same breath and like that's what I like about you know showing that these women are capable of a multitude of things like Madame Blanc, who's uh, Tilda Swinton's character, her main character. Um, one of her many. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love so much about her character throughout the movie is you see her compassion. Mm-hmm. Like she's very compassionate towards these young women and she very clearly cares. And she like, will take up issue with like the democracy as it were of, you know, like preparing Susie and like being ready for this. And like, so I like that it shows that these women. She wasn't you know, just like a full like how Zelda is at least in the beginning of you know just being all in about you know transitioning. Yeah, um, Susie or Sabrina. Yeah, but or that there is conflict within that, and you know. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring up to HT's point about the different generations of like you know feminism for you know first wave, second wave, all of that. Um, the idea what Luca does so like incredibly is weaving in the history of the time. And I think like helping us understand that this like generation of witches, the coven that kind of already own the Marcos dance company have had to live through the war um, and how that has affected them and their trauma is still very real surrounding that. And that's why they clearly choose to do Volk, the dance piece that they, that they perform in the film um, which is was written during the war. Um, and I think that trauma has made them more vengeful and almost more like that craving of power because they've seen what it's like to have their power taken away um, and seen what powerful men can do to the world. Whereas... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Whereas... Um, the second generation uh, with Susie and also Patty, Chloe Grace Martz's character, clearly, like, even though she had conflict within the dance company, also had 
wanted to join the the rebels outside of uh, the dance company that were also operating in Berlin at the time and mm-hmm. like clearly wanted to stand up for what was right and take a more active stance in politics and kind of help heal you know heal yeah. the wrongs of the mm-hmm. war um and i think that's a big difference between the that those two generations of witches we see in the in the film because we don't actually know what the witches um, at the company, at the Marcus company, did during the war if they went underground or how they were able to survive. Yeah, um, I think at one point in the movie it mentions that, like, they just, they did exist during the war mm-hmm. um, and, like, they were there and stuff. And I think one of the things I loved about it was, like, the younger women who want to start discovering what the dance company also is, mm-hmm. besides the dance company, um, and they start being horrified by it and they're like, these people are, like, evil and they're scary and they're like, you know, going to destroy us and stuff. But like at the same time, you can't forget that this place also gave a haven to young women mm. like during World War Two and now during the Cold War. And so it's like, yes, there is danger in what they do and cruelty, but they have also, you know, helped take in women and help them with their trauma. And so it and both those things can exist. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not antithetical yeah. to each other so um we found a really good tumblr post that touches on this idea so dana if you want to like talk about what it says um yeah it basically is talking about like why do teenage girls go through a witch occult phase mm. um and this mm. poster is saying a phase um, well real quick <laughs> yeah like ours um, did you guys have that oh yeah I i'm did. still in it <laughs> yeah oh i definitely like thought I was a witch like had my best friend at the time buy me like a magic book like I was like I can I could do this I like pick up sticks and make them be wands and things like that collect crystals (laughs) I have crystals in my room (laughs) I yeah I still do I like I still have magic books um and like I used to play with my Ouija board all the time with my friends like we were constantly being like ghosts like let's conjure spirits yeah um and the idea um off of this tumblr post is like uh, witches are one of the few cultural figures of female empowerment that don't derive their power from their relationship to a man. Mm. Um, and that's why so many young girls like think that they can be witches or like can grant, they can grant themselves that power. They don't need anyone to give it to them, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really interesting. And especially yeah. in the context of Suspiria where there's literally like one major character who is a man and he is played by a woman that's true. Um, true. There really are no men in this film mm-hmm. um, in terms of protagonists or antagonists, really. Yeah. I do want to know what you guys think, though, about... Because I, me- I remember when Suspiria so, came out, there was a, a little bit of... Playing the oh, yeah, there's a... I want to know what you guys think about... Um, I remember when Suspiria came out, there's a little bit of controversy over the fact that it was directed... Um, by a man. I guess not controversy, but some criticism over the fact that maybe this would have been a film better directed by a woman. Or is uh, Luca Guadagnino's sort of perspective uh, necessary or important to like bringing us into this world of women? Because he's kind of coming in from the outside. I think Dana can talk about that because um, she loves Luca. <laughs> so I am like a call me by your name like obsessive me too um, i love it total i love it, I love it. um I, I have an elio tattoo you have an elio like tattoo wow it's commitment wow okay you're more than me it's, then it's a lot um so i really love 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 luca um i think it is important to remember that he is a queer man mm-hmm. so he's gonna have a different relationship to uh femininity than a straight man would like a straight director would um and I didn't feel at all throughout the film that he was objectifying these women. I thought every scene, they they were so powerful. I thought the way he shot their bodies when they were dancing was, like, really, really empowering because it showed, uh, like, not to use power a bunch of times, but it did show the power of their physical being. Their strength. In a way, like, yes, their absolute yeah. strength in a way that, like, did not objectify them at all. And I really thought that he did, like, a wonderful job, honestly. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's, like, I'm, like, I want to see more female directors and more diverse directors and everything, but, like, you know, I'm not gonna, we just saw Boy Erased the other day, Mm -hmm. you know, which got some flack for, like, it's directed by a straight white man, but, like, Joel Edgerton, like, clearly, like, listened to people in the community in making this and, like, was thoughtful, and 
I, you know, I think, I think there is room to have like both diverse directors telling stories and also like allies and, you know, people who want to help us tell our stories and, you know, the idea of like putting diverse directors in boxes, like as a queer woman, am I only allowed to like tell queer stories? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I don't necessarily ascribe to the stay in your lane mantra because I think it's very limiting, even mm-hmm. though it does yeah. in uh, like support and boost diversity in some ways, like especially behind the, the camera and in front of the camera. I do think that, you know, people should be allowed to tell stories as long as they tell it sensitively and with nuance. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought the spirit was definitely that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something too about like, you know, it's such a like an iconic Argento film and like kind of passing that mantle on to another Italian director mm. um, who has, you know, who has clout and like his own vision, I think was probably very important in this process. Yeah. Um, for fans of the original to, you know, have another uh, Italian at the helm, I'm sure, you know, yeah. that was part of the thought process in hiring him. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you guys what you think this, um, this new resurgence of which titles, which movies and TV shows mean uh, and why it's happening today. And like, uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about like how witches have been portrayed for the past few centuries. And um, yeah, I just want to ask you guys, but like, what do you think it means for it to be coming back today? I think it very much, it much is the empowerment thing, Mm. you know, like isn't that we've talked about several times about this episode, but like, you know, witches are one of those figures throughout history and mythology and folklore about like women who have power and who can take control of their lives in ways that, you know, other stories don't have women doing. Um, And I think, you know, with the Me Too movement and just kind of like this current wave of feminism that we're in, um, I think witches are just a perfect way of reflecting that. I think they storytelling. Show, yeah, I think they showcase like a dimensionality of, yeah, like kind of what we've been um, reiterating this whole time, but of, you know, a dimensionality of womanhood that you don't really always see in more, you know, traditional um, roles, especially, you know, even further back, you know, they're not just, you know, a beautiful protagonist, but they can also be, um, you know, they, they just kind of, there's a lot of boxes that they can fit into or no boxes at all, I mm-hmm. guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think I have a, a little more of like a cynical point to make, but the idea that like, especially with supernatural um, genres, there tends to be just a rotation of what's in within at any time, any given time, you know, we went True. through like a cultural vampire phase, we've gone through this cultural zombie phase. And now that that's kind of, kind of like, hitting its tail end, I think the witches are the next step. kind of that yeah, is true. Thing. And That's like, I, you know, <laughs> I hate saying that, but it's like media goes through cycles. Like, yeah. you know, we've seen this before in the 90s and now everything is kind of coming back. So, I mean, Hollywood is a business. So it, if witches yeah. are going to make money, everyone's going to mm-hmm. be like, all right, let's capitalize. Everyone loves witches. <laughs> then we're going to see a lot of. But I do think yeah. it is a, a perfect sort of um, genre for this time because we touched on this a little bit before as well, how uh, witches can be a stand-in for not only for a woman, but for minorities in general and how they've been repressed and now they're finally taking back that power. And I think it's no, um, no like, coincidence. coincidence either that uh, witches have traditionally been depicted as evil and because they are women who are vying for power and who are powerful. And... Um, have been kind of the the root of like of things of of the kind of Evil the scapegoat the yeah. scapegoat for a lot of uh, actually I wanted I wanted to ask you that that really fun fact that you had the scapegoat historically um, for men to to uh, unload all their troubles. Rebecca had this really fun fact that she was reading to me <laughs> earlier. Ooh, uh, um, fun fact. So there was this, more uh, historically speaking, um, so there was this book that was published, I will not get the year right, but it was somewhere between like 15 to 1600. Um, it was called like The Hammer of Witches. And it was like this kind of encyclopedia essentially about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, witches and like how to you know how to spot a witch so i think it had things like you know the traditional like witch's mark or you know how to test if someone's a witch um but then in it there were also there was um a section about how witches will destroy your crops which of course big thing and that but then there were five sections about a witch stealing your penis (laughs) (laughs) so you You know know where they were really preoccupied where they were (laughs) 
That reminds me, and HT, what you were saying, <laughs> I could not stop thinking about Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame and the way Frollo treats Esmeralda and how he like calls. He's like when he, when she does something, um, he's like witchcraft, and the way that he like condemns her when she won't give herself over to him. Yeah, it's like that. You know, and like you know, and you know, there we'll see like articles about like text mess about like messages on like dating apps where like a woman will ignore a man like a man will compliment a woman and then she like won't respond and then he's like and like all of a sudden yeah yeah and he'll like start calling her like names and like slurs and all of a sudden just be like wait you are ugly even though i was just complimenting you before something like now i hate yeah. you and, you know and you're all these you know this things. idea of like women owing something to a man and like you know what you were saying earlier from that Tumblr post that like being a witch is like finding power from within. Like you're not mm. getting it from your relationship with a man. And so you have that power and you, you know, don't need a man and you can turn them down. And the way that the men will then turn on yeah. the women. They don't like it. Mm-hmm. No, no, they don't. And it's, it's scary, but I mean, it's, it's relevant and it's powerful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was just an interesting thing. Cause basically the stealing the penis thing was basically meant impotence. So, which yeah, is, yeah. yeah, of course, um, yeah, of course. Um, so, of course, like, that's always a woman's fault. Like, you're kind of just touching on, you know, it's a woman's fault if she's ignoring a guy. It's a woman's fault if a guy all of a sudden can't, you know, mm-hmm. do what he thinks he needs to do or whatever. Reminds me of in uh, the Hulu series, The Handmaid's Tale. They go into how the fertility crisis has been blamed upon women, yeah. but then there's actual, like, research shown in, like, the second the season that, like, sterile. the men are probably sterile. And, of course, it's the women who are blamed and who are turned into, mm-hmm. like, basically, like, cows to be impregnated and, and like, yeah. you know. I mean, with uh, Henry VIII, right, too, like, there was a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, evidence. I mean, obviously, he did bear children, but, like, he didn't, you know, probably for how often he was trying, he wasn't that successful. And he tried I mean, a lot. Like, Henry, like, you're the one who decides the, like, biological sex of your yeah, child. You're so, the like, through line, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, if, you know, you're not getting sons, that is your fault. That is your sperm. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and then he's like, I'm gonna cut off all their heads. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, great. Like, male violence. And again, that male violence, you know, women having to deal with that throughout history and, like, finding a way to, like, have this power, like, become a witch to protect yourself as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it is very much a way for, like, women, you know, in a society to survive. Yeah. I do like, too, that um, the witches have so historically been uh, blamed for, like, their reproductive issues, for their, like, you know, and like how it's sort of like a reversal of the typical nurturing maternal woman and how Suspiria also turns that on its head and it's, it plays so much into those um, that imagery of like the, the vaginal and like everything so like <laughs> primal and, and things like that but it doesn't it's, that doesn't have anything to do with like birthing it's just using that as like their source of power and I think that was so interesting mm-hmm. yeah agreed <laughs> I like so realized the more I read about it, the more I realized how much I like missed because there was just so much to take in, and I'm like, I need to see it again. Like, like oh, I yeah. need to see all the like details and like you know look close more closely at everything. Yeah, I think I it like definitely still yeah. yeah reward on repeated viewing. Although it's it's a movie it's a movie that I think will reward on repeated viewing, but it's also something I don't know if I want to subject myself <laughs> to again because it's so disturbing and unnerving in so many it's ways. A lot, yeah. And, um, yeah, but I, I love it. I'm, I'm really excited for this, like, new era of witches. I also want to give a shout-out to The Witch, uh, uh, one of my favorite movies from the past, like, decade, of horror movies from the past decade, which kind of, I feel like kind of kicked off this new trend in a way. It was an indie A24 film yeah. mm-hmm. from two years ago, and it kind of, it was, it was um, a reversal, too, of what we usually think of in terms of the, like, puritanical witch hunt. Uh, which is also a term that's been used way too much recently. Yes. Um, and that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a it's like a paranoid drama that's set in um, like the puritanical era of colonial America. And um, at, for a long time, you're thinking that this is about like repression of women, and there's no actual witch um, sort of uh, background going on here. It's just about society being paranoid. But it turns out it kind of reverses that, being like, oh, this is actually about 
a real witch. And um, it, um, I guess spoilers for the witch. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Two years yeah. old. Um, but it's, um, I think that was a really interesting turning of the head um, of how we usually approach like witch stories. And I think that kind of yeah. helped feed into what we're seeing today with Sabrina, with um, Charmed, with Suspiria. So I hope that this will be, I, yeah. Yeah, I want to give a little shout out to another movie that I don't think you would expect that falls in this trend. Um, we had no idea when we watched it, um, but... I won't say anything, but if you like this new trend of witches and, like, what it's exploring, I would highly recommend watching the absurd comedy, was it The Little Hours? Oh, yeah. The Little Hours. Was that the nun movie? Yes. yes. Oh, so they're actually witches then. <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I, we didn't, I don't want to, like, say too much because, like, we had no idea and that was part of what made it enjoyable. But, like, just give yeah. The Little Hours a watch. Um, it, it explore some of these topics we've been talking about mm-hmm. where can we find so, it uh we watched we it on watched amazon. amazon okay, okay. it was on prime video um and also uh something we watched recently that had a a, a witch-esque plot line um is the netflix movie apostle yes um oh. had a really interesting mm. element to it that yeah. could be considered um, witchy. witchy in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, also, that movie is like bonkers. That movie is and, bonkers. Like, yeah. not at all what we expected it to be, um, but still so enjoyable. And it says interesting things about like female bodies and again, mm-hmm. like the way men treat women and how women like use power to kind of like protect themselves and mm. take back their agency. So I would recommend Apostle. Also, Dan Stevens is in it. So I was about to say. <laughs> and Michael Sheen. And Michael Sheen. So you're welcome for <laughs> more Dan Stevens Hi in your life. Dan Stevens shout out. Yes. Um, you know, I got to shout out Bay. Um, so yeah, so I think like we're seeing this in, like, the bigger ways of, like, these shows and everything and these movies. And also, like, smaller ways how, like, a lot of supernatural things are touching on women and power and, you know, agency. Mm. And bringing that to the forefront, definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I think that's a good way to wrap up our discussion about witches. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Anya, why don't you start us off? What do you really sure. like this week? Um, so I'm going to continue this trend, this trend <laughs> of powerful women in history because I went to the world premiere of Mary Queen of Scots this week, <gasps> and I really enjoyed this film. It's so gay, yes, and so great. Um, so it is about um, Mary Queen of Scots, Mary Stuart, mm-hmm. um, and her kind of rise to power and you know like threatening the power of elizabeth the first who at the time was the queen of england um and it's very much mary's story she's played by saoirse ronan in the film um, margot robbie plays queen elizabeth and it is directed by first time feature director josie rourke mm. so and i'm just amazed at how much she accomplished for her first like feature it's such an epic beautiful glorious period piece um and it's it's just so fun and it's all about scheming and dramatics and politics and how incompetent men are um, and how much you should listen to the women who are ruling because they clearly know better. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. And one of the things I appreciated so much about it is that like it, it doesn't make a point of this, but it just shows that queer people and people of color existed in history, like shocking, like, people of color are in this movie in, like, important roles, and so are queer people. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, they actually existed in history. And it's not, like, you know, something you have to, like, point out um, dramatically. And so I just really love Mary Queen of Scots. Um, I'm hoping we get some director nods in the Oscars this year for female directors. Mm, I'm a little afraid. That'd be nice. Yeah, because last year was definitely a big shutout. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and this year I'm, like, kind of afraid because we have a lot of, like, big time male directors coming back like Barry Jenkins and Alphonse Steve Cron. McQueen, Alphonse Cron, Damien Chazelle. So I'm like afraid women are going to get shut out again. The best movie of the year was directed by a woman, AKA you were never really here. That. And mm-hmm. also, can you ever forgive me? Was directed by a woman. Yeah, and it's so, it's, so yeah, good. So and then good. Josie Rourke from Mary Queen of Scots. And I'm just like ready to 
see these women recognized because I think they have done exceptional work this year. I also want to shout out uh, Leave No Trace was directed by a woman. I can't remember her name, but it's such a good film. Very quiet film that has been sadly going to be overlooked by like everyone, but it's so good. And yeah, there's women have been doing great work this year. Winter's Bone. Yes. Same director of Winter's Bone. Yes. Yeah. So Mary Queen of Scots recommend, I think it comes out um, December 7th, I want to say. But if you like history and powerful women, I would recommend going to see it. Also David Tennant in a very scary religious role. Yeah. He's uh, it's like a small bit, but he's like, because it's the whole Protestant Catholic. Right. Uh, like war at the time and he is um a protestant and he hates the pope mm-hmm. and he makes that known <laughs> and he has <laughs> a, a big scraggly beard oh, oh my it's yeah david oh it's not david Tennant's most attractive role. <laughs> <laughs> all right well um i'll go next uh my really like for this week is mandy uh, the movie starring Nicolas Cage that is one of the few films that is just perfectly suited towards Nicolas Cage's particular set of skills. Um, it's a film about, well, it's, I feel like it's uh, reductive to say it's a film about a man seeking revenge for the death of his wife because it's so much more than that. The titular um, Mandy is Nicolas Cage's wife, planned, played by Andrea Riseborough, and really the first half of it is her movie. We barely see Nicolas Cage for the first half of the film, and when he does show up, he's barely a character. He's just kind of like this raw nerve of a human being who's just like a vengeful force going through. And uh, it's a bonkers film. It is ridiculously like over the top and uh, violent and gratuitous, but in the way that's like cartoonishly violent, so that you kind of like you don't you can just like sit back and be like okay this is like this was off the rails like three like an hour ago you can just enjoy your ride off the cliff and it's so fun because like i think i'm pretty sure this movie not only stars uh like features characters that are completely high the entire time it's definitely filmed from the perspective who is just like of a person who is tripping on lsd it is weird it is surreal it is just like uh, just like a rainbow trip of a film um, and I enjoyed the hell out of it uh, yeah. I want to see it it looks fun my only issue with it is that the only hero in like a bonk- bonkers horror movie that's allowed to use a chainsaw is Ashley J. Williams in Evil Dead and Fair. so I'm like but a little like Anya, you're not allowed to have a chainsaw. a chainsaw fight listen there, I know but there's like two chainsaws Chainsaw One of which is like to double. Ashley J. Williams. All right, all right. <laughs> That's my only qualm with Mandy, but I do want to see it. I think you will love it because not only is it like ridiculously over the top, but it it actually gives a quite insightful portrayal of grief. Um, and there's one scene that is so stark and stands out so much from the rest of the film, which is just kind of like an anime in a sense, because it's just so like ridiculous. But this scene is like the one um, really raw piece of vulnerability that we see from Nicolas Cage. And I, you know, I've been on the fence from him, from him for a while. I know a lot of people don't really like his just kind of either extremely shouty or extremely whispery style. But I think that this ma- this movie makes use of it because... Um, his portrayal of like masculine grief and masculinity in general is so much the reversal of what we usually see in that like men are typically taught to like be walled off and have all their emotions just like turmoiled inside and that's what we see with a lot of anti-heroes but with Nicolas Cage everything is just like on the outside he's like flipped out he has all of his outsized emotions just like radiating and screaming off of him Um, and it's this really interesting portrayal of like masculinity and grieving and um and and loss that is just it's so fascinating and it's like it's sandwiched in like this crazy film but i think it's it it elevates the film in a lot of ways and really makes use of just nicholas cage the actor so and andrea riseborough too is great and so distinctive as the titular mandy um i love her character she is so weird and distinctive in the first half of the film especially and she and she her role is like her presence is a uh, constant and recurring throughout the film so i think you will like it anya awesome so um 
Rebecca. Sure. <laughs> um, I'm going to break with the prop culture tradition a little bit. Um, so as I believe HT said on the previous episode, we are now uh, living together in Queens Yay! and in New York. And so I had a bit of a turmoil just as I was moving. Um, my gig that I'd been working for a couple months said they basically couldn't have me anymore um, because no. of just money and um they all of a sudden like the project i was brought in for went into a totally different direction so you know i wasn't i wasn't able to really uh stay because they couldn't afford me and the person they need to bring in so i was cut off very uh, abruptly and so i had a crisis of you know just moving to new york and like you know that terror of like oh my god i'm now unemployed in new york and like what am i going to yes. do <laughs> um so that gig actually just wrapped up tuesday but um i'm actually starting a gig on monday so nice. i was able to get back pretty quickly so i really 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 like employment and <laughs> that's my favorite I love that so yeah, and just knowing that you know you can like once the once it's happened once you like know you can do it again and that it's gonna be okay basically yeah, yeah. you live in the New York dream Rebecca <laughs> of uh, unstable are. working and um, yeah but, but also a triumph a triumph of employment yes gone when, here in L A yeah yeah I'm sure oh God yeah everything's yeah. freelance there too right you know actors you know directing yeah. like everything and like when you're working on tv shows and yeah like, production oh, yeah, time and you're like oh, yeah. okay <laughs> oh no money no, no. <laughs> all of a sudden yeah um so that, that's what i really really like i love it all right <laughs> dana what's you um, really like this week my <laughs> stop laughing at me my really like this week is the uh jersey shore family vacation friends giving episode Ooh. aired on thursday night it was two hours um and it was a clip show um of like just throwing back to the first like the original six seasons um of jersey shore um oh my gosh. warmed my heart there's some of my favorite people in the whole world is this a uh, not yet. He they kept making <laughs> talks about it. He's definitely gonna go. He did get sentenced for uh, eight months. Yeah. Um, what, but for Vinny's uncle- tax evasion, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, for tax evasion. But Vinny's uh, uncle Nino assured him that he has people on the inside that are gonna <laughs> take care of Mike. He'll he'll be taken care of. Incredible. Um, it was just such a good episode to like see how far they've all come and like how much they've bonded and like they are really such a family after like 10 years of like being on TV together and um Vinny's mom Paula made 299 pounds of food for the episode. Oh my god. All by herself. Wait, um, so this is in New yeah. Jersey, right? That's not far from us. We yeah. can we can get there. Yeah, Staten Island. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, Staten Island. Perfect. I'm like, if you need Thanksgiving, just go to go to <laughs> Vinny's house, house and his mom will cook for you. It was it's crazy. Like the producers like took a did a count of like how much she made and that's oh what God. the final number was. Um yeah, it's great. And it just warmed my heart. So I so- never watched Jersey Shore, but like living with Dana, I will catch it sometimes when she's watching it. And I think now that like they're all older, it's it's a very, it feels different than, like, mm-hmm. what I knew it of does. it when it was, when they were younger and stuff, and, like, uh, they're actually all kind of really fun and, like, <laughs> adorable sometimes, and, like, she's turned me on to, like, the situation and the fact that he really loves food, or as he calls it, foods. foods. <laughs> Everything. I mean, there is more than one foods, usually. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Has, it's like, wrong. Adorable, and it's, I never thought in, like, my whole life I would give, like, care about Mike the situation because he was the absolute worst on the original series and now that he's like clean and sober for like three years he is just the most delightful human Uh, and it really honestly like he really has like he's completely changed and he is such a good person and it just shows comes to show like goes to show you that like people's addiction is not who they are and like Mm -hmm. you know when they're struggling you know, they're not the best version of themselves. And right. now he is. So, so this was, I hope he maintains yeah, that. I hope so. goes into a difficult chapter. Yeah. I know. I hope jail doesn't, doesn't I know. change him too much. But, um, yeah. He's going to be taken care of, so. He is going to be taken care of. You know, is going to make sure of it. But, yeah. <laughs> so Anyone who's listening a, is a fan of Jersey Shore. This was a it. reunion episode, or? So they're, they're 
been back together for two seasons, like oh. Jersey Shore family vacation. Um, so they went to Miami in the first season and then they went to Vegas and now they're back, you know, down the shore in New Jersey for a bit. But this was like a special kind of produced uh, clip show that they did, oh. um, which is the first time they've ever done anything like this. Um, so it was really fun. They made like a point to show like the camera people and the producers and like show that they were like trying to throw to packages because they're really bad at um at like being produced because even though the show clearly is reality show like what you see is is really them um the producers rarely tell them what to do or like prompt them so this was kind of a funny episode in that like they had to like say written lines which is like something they never do and it was like they're not very good not very good actors (laughs) shocking (laughs) pretty hilarious (laughs) i love that i never thought i'd have some sort of fondness for jersey shore but here we are you're welcome (laughs) um all right well that is our episode if you guys have any thoughts on witches or movies like mandy or mary queen of scots or jersey shore or what you guys are doing for work you should come (laughs) chat with us um and we're going to do that ht uh, you can chat with us on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. On Facebook, we're at the Millennial Falcon Podcast. Our WordPress is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And we're also on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play if you subscribe to us and re- re- rate and review us there. And where can uh-huh. they find you, Anya? You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. You can find me at HTranBui on Twitter. And where can they find you guys? Um, well, I don't really tweet anymore at all. I actually deleted the Twitter app off my phone. Um, I do, I, I can log into it on Safari, but it basically like encourages me not to stay on it very long because it's a really terrible interface when it's not the app. (laughs) Um, so it just kind of keeps me from going too crazy. Um, but if you want to, maybe I'll, I'll log in. Um, you can find me at Rebecca Fuger on Twitter. Um, but my Instagram, I'm a little more active on there and that's Rebecca with, um, R-E-E-B-E-C-C-A. Fun. I'm at Dana Bramble 3 on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. And thank you for Dana and Rebecca for joining us on our witch episode. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Witches forever. Women forever. Hell yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Should we try try to make like a pentagram or something with our our hands? With our hands. (laughs) Yeah. Skype. All right. Charmed on the CW Sundays at 9 (laughs) p.m. And Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is on Netflix. Uh, The Witch is on Amazon Prime, as is um, The the, the Nuns. Not The Nuns. The Little Hours. And uh, you can find Suspiria in theaters, potentially, or on Blu-ray at some point. We don't know yet. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.